I sure felt that this week. That third burst, the strain when you feel the cables, feel the strain of life. That's the anchor, man. It's grabbing. Nehemiah chapter 8 tonight. Nehemiah chapter number 8. Glad you came back. You didn't have to, but you chose to, so praise the Lord for that. Nehemiah chapter number 8, a very familiar passage. Everyone, I'm sure, is familiar with it. When you find the book of Nehemiah, I'll have you stand, read a few verses here. Nehemiah chapter 8, I'll begin reading here in verse number 1. The Bible says, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could bear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday, before the men and the women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood Mattathiah and Shema and uh, Aniah and Urijah and Hilkiah and Maasiah on his right hand, and on his left hand, Padiah and Mishael and Milkiah and Hashem and Hash, uh, was that Badana? Banana or something like that? Zechariah and Meshulam. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also Jeshua and Bani and Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, and Shebathiah, and Hodijah, Maasiah, Kalida. Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Pliah, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book, in the law of God distinctly, and gave the sense, and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God, more not nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. And then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, that's chicken and waffles, I guess, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. What a great passage of Scripture. A lot of preaching has been done out of this passage here. And uh, Brother Jared, why don't you pray and ask the Lord's help in the preaching tonight. We'll try to do something. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want you to know tonight, I appreciate you coming back, um, and I pray that the Lord will give you exactly what you need. He'll fill up your wagon. You say, well, I don't own a wagon. Well, he'll fill up whatever you need filled up, amen. And I want you to know as uh, your pastor that I prepare to preach the messages I preach. I prepare as if I'll preach to 100 people, and I preach the same as if 10 come. I want you to know that. And uh, I, hope, I hope and pray that this one will help you tonight. I don't put any preeminence on any service. Uh, I don't uh, get up and think, well, it's just Sunday school or, well, it's just morning service. I believe every time that we're here, it's important. And I just say that, and I want you to know as your pastor, I'm trying to be a better pastor. And that means I'm still learning. And uh, you may or may not know it's not important, but I'm still in school. I've been in school longer than it seems like I've been alive. And I think it's important that I keep learning. And 
as long as a pastor or a preacher stays in the student's desk, I think the Lord will be able to deal with it. Amen? That's not the message this morning, but no doubt, one of the greatest and most quoted verses you saw tonight. Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse number 10. Uh, For the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's a favorite verse. I believe many times it's often lifted from its context. You say, how has it done that? Well, it's, uh, it's often placed upon a reason why someone thinks that you should be in a good mood and they're not. <laughs> well, if you had the joy of the Lord, you would whatever. But it's often lifted from context. However, doctrinally speaking, if I could get doctrinally technical with you just for a moment before we begin this message, if the Lord is the subject in the joy of the Lord, if the Lord is the subject then wouldn't you say we would be rejoicing what the Lord rejoices in? Fair enough statement to make tonight, I believe. And I'll give you just five things real quickly by way of introduction. If the Lord is a subject, then you would be rejoicing what the Lord likes. For example, and this is Proverbs chapter 1, verse 26. uh, You say, what does the Lord rejoice in according to the Bible? Well, according to the Bible... The Lord rejoices in the destruction of Christ-rejecting Jews from 70 A.D. to the present with more to come before the second advent. You say, well, that's a weird way. It's still biblical facts. And that's Proverbs chapter 1, verse 26. I'll let you look those up. I'm just going to give you these things and the references, and we'll go on here. But the Lord rejoices in the destruction of Christ-rejecting Jews from 70 A.D. to present to the second advent. How about this, Revelation chapter 17 and chapter 19? Those two chapters, you know what the Lord rejoices in? The damnation of a religious system. You say, what system is that? I'll give you two guesses and the first one don't count. That's the Roman Catholic Church. That's Romans chapter 17 and Romans chapter 19. The Lord rejoices over their damnation and destruction. I'll give you this one, Luke chapter 10 verse 21. The Lord rejoices in the confounding and the blinding of all scholarship. You say, is that so? We'll actually look at that one. You've got to see this. This thing will blow your mind. You ever stop and consider that what makes the Lord rejoice is all these smart people, so-called smart people, that have been correcting the Bible and ignoring the Word of God and have no stomach for the King James Bible? You know what the Lord rejoices over? The fact that they can't get what's in this book. And then the Lord turns around and gives it to babes. Look at this. Luke chapter 10, verse 21. And you know what? I can't relate to much, tongue-in-cheek when I say that, but I can relate to this verse right here. Luke chapter 10, verse number 21. The Lord rejoices over the blinding of scholars and all these religious people and turns around and gives uh, his scriptural truth to babes. 10.21, the Bible says in the book of Luke, In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. Isn't that a blessing? (laughs) The Lord can reveal stuff to us because we simply believe a book. Man, you need to grasp a hold of that this week when you think things are going south and just can't really put up with much anymore that the Lord's willing to give it to you if you believe the book. That's a blessing. I'll give you number four here. Uh, You know what the Lord rejoices in? Go over to Luke 15, just a couple of chapters over. He rejoices in the salvation of a soul. The salvation of a soul. There in Revelation chapter 15, verse 6, the Bible says, When he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. The Lord rejoices when somebody gets saved. Matter of fact, the Bible talks about all the angels in heaven rejoice. They get excited. That's a blessing. We're talking about just things that makes the Lord rejoice by way of introduction tonight. And finally, in Zephaniah 3.17, you have the restoration of Israel. You know, the Lord will rejoice that day when he takes Israel, his chosen people, and he comes back as their Messiah, the Antichrist will have slaughtered everything down to probably four or five or six hundred of them, and then they finally are in a position where they'll accept Jesus Christ, and he comes back on a white horse, amen, with all the armies of heaven with him, and I'm telling you what, the Lord will rejoice when he comes back and fights for Israel, 
I'm planning on coming back with him, amen? And when he comes back and he fights for Israel, he'll rejoice to restore that nation to its rightly place. Now, that's some heavy doctrinal stuff, but man, if the joy of the Lord is your strength, consider the last time you uh, rejoiced. Was it over something that God rejoiced over? Yet in our text today, back to Nehemiah chapter 8, Israel's been given strength. And that strength has come through the joy of the Lord. And it's come through doing what's right. you got to get a hold of that for a second. The joy of the Lord is giving Israel the strength to continue on. And that's kind of where I want to rest for a little bit. That's what, exactly what you and I need. We need strength. I know tonight we are Bible believers. Amen. And that's a beautiful thing. That's a wonderful thing. That should be a comforting thing. Amen. That should be something that makes you study your Bible to say, I am a Bible believer. But you know what? It's not just enough to believe the Bible. You need strength to go on. You need strength. You need support to continue. Amen. And uh, Isaac Watts said over 300 years ago, Are there no foes for me to fight? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend of grace to help me on to God? Sure, I must fight if I would win. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil. Endure the pain supported by thy word. So what you and I need tonight is support. We need strength. We need strength for the battle that lies ahead. You say, well, you preach about total Christian warfare today. And tonight, you need to get strengthened. You need strength. Monday's coming. Some of you are glad. Some of you are not so glad. And you need strength for the battle that lies ahead. And uh, that's what I want to preach about for just a little bit. If you're going to have sufficient strength for the battle, I see a number of things in our passage. I'll just give you a few of them tonight. But the first thing I see, if you're going to have sufficient strength for the battle that lies ahead, I want you to look at verse 1. I want you to see maybe a perspective for a second that you're going to have to learn to ask for the right things. You're going to have to ask for the right things. I don't know about you, but when I pray, I try, every once in a while I try to listen to myself pray. And I don't know how when you pray, when I pray, and if I'm listening to myself praying, I know it sounds silly, but I'll say this, that sounds stupid. I think I sound like an absolute fool half time when I pray. And I'm glad the Lord hears our prayer and takes it like a... Rubik's Cube and flips it to the right thing and passes it up to the Lord. Amen. I'm glad the Holy Spirit does that for us uh, so we can be praying in the will of God. But you know what? You and I need to learn to ask for the right things. In verse 1, the Bible says, And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. So if I'm going to ask for the right things and get strength for the battle, I'm going to have to ask for God's book. You see that? In verse number one, you've got to ask for God's book. You say, I don't get it, preacher. I've got the Bible. I understand that. But when was the last time you just really asked him for it? It's one thing to have it in our lap. It's one thing to have it well marked. And I believe you all do have it marked. And many of you have passages memorized. And many passages will probably even have tear stains. Uh, some, some passages in your Bible look like two crayons went to war with each other. <laughs> You ever do that highlighting and then you come through again? Uh, oh, you got to grab another highlight and blue and yellow and I'll make whatever it is a mess. <laughs> but when was the last time you just got with the Lord and asked him to open that book to you in a new and special way? Not so you can be the uh, putter forth of truth, but so you could actually learn more. You know, we have an inexhaustible book. You and I could never get through it all the way per se. We can get through it in the sense of reading it. But when was the last time? I want you to have strength for the battle. And you and I, we have to learn to ask God for the right things. And I'm all for, you know, I, I appreciate when people pray. And if you pray for me, thank you. And uh, pray for the needs of the church, so forth. But when was the last time you said, Lord, I love your book. You know I do. I, I know I don't read it like I should. I hate even saying that because that's like a cop out. But Lord, will you open mine eyes this week? that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. You say, why should I pray that? you got to ask for the right things to get the strength. And I think too many times we're too focused on down here. We're focusing, yes, we need to pray for one another. We need to pray for our supplies and pray for our financial need. But many times our spiritual needs should eclipse. You can often tell the spiritual maturity of a believer because a lot of times a prayer request at first will go to, 
hurt thumbs and fingers and foots and backsides and all of a sudden you'll slowly begin to hear the needs become spiritual. I'm not trying to create Pharisees. I'm not trying to create fakers with your prayer requests. And look, if someone's sick, we need to pray for them. Amen? <laughs> but a lot of times, I don't think we ask for the right things. You've got to ask for God's book. I notice here, uh, you know, Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. You know what he says? We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed. A more sure word of prophecy. Peter had a book, and he knew about it. Uh, you know, uh, Jeremiah chapter 37, verse 17, you got a wicked old king named Zedekiah. He was a piece of garbage for sure. Nevertheless, he was the last king that went through there. And no matter how messed up and jacked up he was, you know what he kept asking? Jeremiah, is there any word from the Lord? He was messed up like a soup sandwich. And they end up, when they, he ran, he should have stayed. That old preacher said, you better stay put. You better stay put. He and then that old king's like got all scared and ran out, and they gouged his stinking eyeballs out right in front of his sons. They killed his sons, and then they put his eyes out. You say, what's the lesson there? Well, I guess when you're told to stay, you better stay. <laughs> Amen? But even Zedekiah, the mess we was in, knew what important, important it was to have the word from the Lord. I'm just saying, you and I got to learn, if we're going to have strength for the battle, we got to ask for the right things. We've got to ask for God's book. Not only that, not ask for God's book, but what is wrong with asking for God's blessing? You say, well, I thought you just said we need to ask for the book. Okay, well, ask for God's blessing. Well, I ask what God, all right, Lord, would you, would you bless me? Who told you that it was wrong to pray for a blessing? Don't let your conscience that gets jaded from time to time from not doing right Stop you from asking the Lord to bless you. This isn't the Pentecostal channel. Don't worry about it. I'm not going crazy on you. But what's wrong with asking the Lord, well, Lord, would you bless me? Would you bless me spiritually, Lord? <laughs> Lord, if it's possible, would you bless me? Would you bless the work of my hands so I could be a better Christian, be in a better place to do more for you? Now, if you don't mean it, don't pray it, amen. <laughs> but why not ask for God's book and God's blessing? Look at James chapter 1 real quick. Something to consider tonight. I want strength for the battle. You need strength for the battle. You need support this week. And you and I just got to start asking for the right things. James chapter 1. Now, you and I serve a good God, and once again, he showed it to us this week, did he not? He showed it to us on Thursday when they come in with all the king's horses and all the king's men, or the well's horses and all the well's men, and they had to do a couple pushes on the dozer, and that was it, man. Man, that's a blessing. But look at James chapter 1, verse 5. The Bible says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask Siri. Nope, <laughs> that's not what it says. <laughs> Let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. You know what that Bible tells you in a matter-of-fact way? If you lack wisdom, just ask the Lord for it. He's not going to chew you out for asking. Now listen, just because you asked to be the smartest man in Iosco County, don't get too excited about that, amen, but it doesn't mean he's going to make you the smartest person in Iosco County, amen. Well, why not ask for God's blessing? Uh, Jacob did. Jacob over in Genesis chapter 32, verse 26, he's wrestled with the Lord. You ever wrestle with the Lord? I'm like, not like the three-second move, wrestle with the Lord, right? But you ever wrestle with the Lord? You're wrestling with things. You're fussing with things. And you're talking with the Lord. You know what Jacob says in verse 26? I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Now, when you're going through some tough times this week, you know what you need to do? When you're wrestling with the Lord, so I ain't letting you go until you bless me. Try it on it. Work for Jacob. Bob, well, let me caution you. If you're going to get a hold of the Lord, it'll change you. It'll change you. When Jacob walked away from there, guess what the Lord did? He changed his name. You know why? Jacob had the wrong name. Jacob means supplanter. The Lord got Jacob to admit who he was. Not only changed his name, but what happened next? Changed his walk. 
He walked with a limp. I'm not saying you've got to walk with a limp for the rest of your life, but you get a hold of God and he begins to bless you. You will walk different than you're walking right now. I need strength for the battle. I've got to learn to ask for the right things, God's book and God's blessing. How about Jabez? Jabez is like this oasis in the middle of a first chronicle desert. And all those names that mean absolutely nothing to you and, to you and I unless we look at Hitchcock's uh, book of names or Easton's book of names, right? And then you can kind of get the meaning of them. But you don't know what, you know, you know habanero or hashbaz or jalapeno means in the Bible. You don't know what those names mean. And all of a sudden Jabez shows up in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 10. This fellow named Jabez, you know what he says? It's real easy. Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed. And you're reading through 1 Chronicles 1, 2, 3, 4. You're like, I need a blessing right about now. That's a true story. Now, it's a little easier if you got Scorby uh, reading it to you, and you're reading it at the same time. It goes a little bit easier, don't it? But if you're sitting there and no help at all, and you're going, okay. By the time you get chapter 4, you need a blessing. Well, what's wrong with asking God for the right blessing? Lord, would you bless the work of my hands? Lord, would you bless my church? Would you bless my family? If at all possible and it would please you and to be within your will, would you bless me spiritually? Man, you have to learn to ask for the right things, the right book, and the right blessing. Can I just say this, that maybe, maybe, according to James chapter 4 and verse 2, maybe the reason we don't have what we need is because we just don't ask for it. Now, we know the Bible says the Lord knoweth that we have need of these things. Amen? He's God. He knows everything. He knows how, how much hair or the lack thereof you have. He knows how many teeth or how many you don't have. Amen? But he still wants you to ask. He said, I'm depressed this week. Talk to the Lord. Lord, would you help me to hope thou in God because my soul is downcast? Well, you got to ask for God's blessing, amen? And you got to ask for the right thing, and uh, you got to ask for the right book. Let me show you this one, number two. Next, you got to give the book some time. You got to give the book some time. We're talking about strength for the battle. You got to ask for the book, and then you got you to give the book some time. Now, look at verse three. I want you to see this real simple. It takes time to read the book. I'm a simple preacher, man. There's nothing complex about this at all. It takes time to read the book. Amen? If you're trying to read the Bible, it takes time. In verse 3, the Bible says, He read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday. No, I'm not telling you you got to read your Bible for six hours. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just showing you that it takes time. We're not to where they have strength yet. And what takes place before they get the strength? They're reading a book. A book is being read, and that's being read for six hours. Let me just put it practically like this so you and I can understand it. A Christian must take time daily to read to be strengthened properly. Amen? Daily. Just read it daily. Well, how much should I read? I don't know how much you need to read. Let's just start with some. Now, if you're advanced and you have a very high acumen to read, well, suffice it to say, you should probably read more. It's like if you can ride a bike without training wheels, why would you leave them on? Just take them off and go, you know. If you can ride a bike with no hands, don't do it. No, anyway, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> why would you leave the training wheels on? I mean, if you can read and you can read easy, man, just read. It's like eating a meal. You eat until you're full. Well, I'm watching my figure. Well, whatever. <laughs> Just read. Read till you're full, man. Read till you're full. Well, from the morning till midday, that's six hours. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. I know you know where we're going with this, but it's important that you give attendance to reading. It's important that you give attendance to reading. You say, why? Well, for the very reason that you stopped reading. Fair enough. The things of life get on, life happens, family happens, events happen. you got to read. You can't sacrifice your life for the Bible. The Bible says uh, here in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13, he says, no, we want 1 Timothy 4.13. 1 Timothy 
That's still second. Wow. We're struggling up here, that's for sure. Must be because y'all came to that King James Church. Amen. That's funny. All right. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. So something right there found in the pastoral epistles, that's not just to a preacher, but that's to a flock. You and I need to give attendance to reading. That means when it's time to read, you need to be there. Now, I know you know that, but look, if you want strength, if you want strength for the battle, you got to ask for the right book, and then you got to give the book some time. You can't just open it up and go, okay, Russian Bible roulette. Okay, so the, set the wicked man over him and let Satan stand at his right hand. <laughs> you can't do that. You got to get systematic about it. Just read a little bit every day. Now listen, unless you're on some uh, huge uh, sports plan, you wouldn't stop eating every day. All right, so Christians, you got to read. You got to give attendance to reading. I'll get off that and let it go. But not only does it take time to read the book, can I tell you it takes time to hear the book preached. Look back to Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 8. It takes time to hear the book preached. There is no pastor who has any sense should ever expect that he shows up at a church and within the first five years, the door is bust out and you have great revival. Why? They're still learning who the pastor is. It takes time. It takes time. Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 8, notice what it says. That passage in there talks about them giving the sense. You see that? And gave the sense, it says. You know what the pastor's job is to do besides feed sheep? To make sure he does his dead level best to give you the sense of what he's trying to preach. That's why God gave a pastor. So they read in the book, verse 8, in the law of God distinctly. That's uh, slowly. And so you could hear it. And with the right book, <laughs> amen, and gave the sense. That means some, some explaining had to be done. As in, Lucy, you got some explaining to do, right? That's a pastor's job to explain the book. Dads, when you read it, your job is to explain the book to your family. You got to do it. You say, I don't know what it is. Ask God for it. He'll give it to you. So it takes time, and you got to give the book some time. It takes time to read the book in verse 3, and it takes time to hear the book preached. Uh, an average Bible-believing Baptist church will have a pro average, give or take. People are doing really weird things today, and I'm not saying we're the only ones doing the right. Don't ever get that idea. If people do it different, great. I hope it works for them. I'm serious when I say that. But the average Bible in Baptist church will have approximately four services a week, totaling, ready, six hours of preaching. There is 168 hours in a week. That is less than one-half percent of your week given to preaching. Lord's pretty good, man. That's a pretty good ratio. Can you imagine if you had to tithe your time in church? You think attendance is bad now, man. <laughs> I mean, uh, that's less than half of a percent. That's 0.5%. Four services. Amen? You say, why are you saying that? You've been kind of hit. It's in the text. I'm just saying, you've got to give it some time. Do you realize, the old preacher said it takes 20 years to make the man talk about a preacher, and that takes another 20 years to make the message. Well, that applies to the fold this way. It takes 20 years of sitting under Bible-believing preaching for actually for you to really see the changes that God will affect in your life through preaching. So what's the hurry, right? What's the hurry in our church world, in our Bible-believing world? You know what the hurry is? It's a business mindset. Oh, we got to fill it up, fill it up, fill it up. Why? You're in a hurry to fill it up with a bunch of people that don't want to be there and cause trouble, and all of a sudden you can't get fed anymore because this person's bickering with that person, and this person don't want to talk to that person, and this person's always offended when they walk in the door, and that person way over yonder, whenever they walk in the door, they suck in all the oxygen out of the room. You see, it takes time for you to learn to read that book on your own. It takes time for all that preaching to slowly get into you and take a change. And that's how you get strength. It takes time, time to hear the book preached. And not only that, it takes time to see the book applied in your life. In verse 8, it says, 
and cause them to understand the reading. You'll hear things preached now, and some of you, it might take 10 years before the Lord starts to unplug that stuff and unlock that stuff. It takes time to see the book applied in your life. Many times you'll hear preaching, you're like, that sounds good, but I can't relate to it. What good is preaching if you can't relate to it? What good is anything that is preached if you can't practically apply it? It might take a little bit of time for that thing to take hold. It takes time for the book to be applied in your life. Well, let me give you this one. Number three, not only you got to ask for the right book and give the book time to uh, take effect, Number three, you got to learn to respond to the book. Remember, we're after strength for the battle. What I need tomorrow morning is strength. So I don't go to school and get thrown in jail because a bunch of middle schoolers are cussing me out. Amen? I need strength for the battle. It's a battle. All right, now look at this here in uh, verse number five. He said, how am I going to learn to respond to the book? Can I say this first of all in verse number five? I think the first thing you probably should do is learn to give the book some respect. Give the book some respect. Let me show it to you in verse 5. The Bible says, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. Don't look at that part. But notice the part that the book is above all the people, not Ezra. Ezra is just a mouthpiece, right? Ezra is just a messenger. Don't look at Ezra. Look at what's above the people. It should be the book. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. So first of all, the book should be above all else. I know you know this verse, but turn there with me. Psalm 138. Psalm 138. You and I have to learn to respect the Bible, respect the book, and put it in its rightful place, not only physically, but spiritually and practically in our own lives. Psalm 138, verse 2. And I'll tell you what, fundamentalists, they hate this verse. And people that don't believe the King James Bible hate this verse. And they'll call you a bibliolater. Bible says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Isn't that a wild verse, if you're honest? That the word is above the name of of our God? It kind of makes sense when you get over to Peter because we have the book with us. And so that's supposed to be above the people. And the only reason I'm above geographically is because this is where the book's at and makes it easier for you all to hear. Positionally, you or I are on the same plane, but this book is above us all. And we have to learn as a people, and I believe you do, but you have to remember to give this book respect. All right? It needs to be above everything else. It needs to be above your opinions. I preach for just a second here. Your opinions. That book needs to be above your opinions. It needs to be above your preferences, right? And all your, I don't know, whatever other P you want to put in there, proclivities and portfolios. And You say, how can the book be above everything else? Well, you've got to judge everything by the book. Judge your driving by the book. Oh, that's easy, preacher. There's Jehu driving furiously. No, not that kind. <laughs> judge your driving by the book. How about this? Judge your singing by the book. Judge your cooking by the book. You see what I mean? Judge everything by that book. Judge your relationship between your uh, husband and your wife by that book. Well, you got to give the book respect. You know, next thing I think you need to do, you got to respond to the book by standing up for the book. Now, here's a hard one. Look at verse 5. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. I think you ought to stand up for this book, amen? I think it's appropriate. I think it's very reverent to stand when we read the passages we do. It's not mandatory, but I just think it's respect, amen? And if you can't, I'll never call anybody out on it. I just think if you can, you should. Why? It just shows respect. At some point in time, this book has to be above you. Amen? All right, you stand up for the book. Uh, how about this? You stand up for it in town. 
just asking a question. How about when you go out of town, do you stand up for it? I mean, talk about giving the book respect, right? Standing up for the book. Do you stand up for it in your house? Well, we sure do love the Bible, preacher, but you know what? Uh, that's just a church thing. No, it's not a church thing. The Bible makes us Christians. You should stand up for your house, the workhouse, and even though we don't have any, Waffle House. <laughs> I thought of another house, amen. I'd say the White House, but they threw that thing out a long time ago, amen. Stand up for it in Waffle House, amen. When you order your waffle, leave tracks and a good tip, amen. How about this? Stand on the book, stand up for the book, and watch the book stand up for you. The Lord's watching what you do with that book. The Lord's watching what you do with your free time. Do you go to the book or do you go to your favorite whatever it is? Stand up for the book. All right, you got to respond to the book by giving it respect, by standing up for the book. How about this? How about by being convicted by the book? Verse 9, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Ain't that something? People, oh, it's, he read it, he explained it, and they started squalling and bawling, man. I don't understand that up north. I don't. I mean, I'm an emotional kind of fellow. I know you all know that. But I've never, I can honestly say I've never been in a church service. Where just started. I'm not saying you've got to do that. I'm not trying to produce that. But you ought to be convicted by it at least when it's preached. When it comes to conviction, uh, let's look at a couple things. Look at Acts chapter 4. You ought to be convicted by the book, and that's how you can respond to it. Conviction is a, you know what it is? It's the Lord reminding you that you're His. If you're convicted by something, if you have a guilty conscience, it's literally, I see it as the Lord's leash going tug, tug. And He usually does it a little bit lower on me right about here. It's the Lord's leash. He's going, hey, boy, you're mine. Oh, come on now. <laughs> Amen. I mean, some of y'all got dogs and you got leash. It don't matter. You, the thing would, you know, suffocate itself. It's so stupid. You know what I mean? We've all had dogs like that. Some Christians are like that. Amen. You got the shock collar on. It's having a seizure. It don't care, you know. <laughs> but you ought to be convicted by the book. Look at uh, Ephesians, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. You know what the... Uh, you know what the book ought to do? Uh, here, I've got this thing. Let it wow you. Amen? Let it wow you. You ever been wowed by the book? I'm not talking about a delivery. I'm not talking about your favorite talking head, your favorite preacher or whatever. Have you ever just, that book, man, just wows you. Acts chapter 4, uh, verse number 13, if I can get there. But this book, you can respond to it by letting it impress you, by letting it wow you. And 4 verse 13, that Bible says, that's not what I want. I want 31. Or do I want it? I want something that will make sense. There. How about the right book of the Bible? That was Romans. And you all pray for me. These glasses are terrible. It's bad. It is. I leave them here because my only pair. 4, 13. That's what I want. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. By the way, you know that you attending here, people think you're ignorant. They do. Now, not fellow believers, but I'm talking people on the outside. They think because you come here, they think you're dumb as a thump. But you know what David said? He says, I know more than all my teachers because I believe in thy word. Isn't that a blessing? But this book, you can, uh, it ought to wow you. Look what it says. They marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. You spend time with this book, it ought to wow you. You ought to be marveled by it. How about this one? Uh, it, you should let it wow you. In Proverbs 27, 6, you should let it wound you. When the preacher gets up or when you're reading your Bible, you're talking to the Lord, and he shows you things in the Bible reading, and you go, oh, that hurts. You ought to let it wound you. Proverbs chapter uh, 27. You know, the Lord wounds you because he loves you. You understand that, right? And uh, 
modern Christianity, and I know you don't like hearing this stuff sometimes. Some of you do. You, some of you really have come a long way. But uh, look at 27.6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Think about some of the friends you got right now, and all they do is tell you how wonderful you are. Now, unless they really mean it, you better watch out. Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. And my Bible says that we have a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And he wrote this book, and when he speaks, it should wound you. If you don't ever get wounded, man, I'd check my soul. <laughs> you ought to see if you're even saved. It should wow you. It should wound you. How about this? Look at it back to Acts 13. Acts 13, 44. You ought to let it wet your appetite. That book, the more you get into it, ought to whet your appetite. I don't know about you, there's been times in my Christian life, and not confession, I'm just being straight with you, where I've neglected the book, and I haven't read it like I should, and all of a sudden, I'll get cantankerous. I know you find that hard to believe, but I'll get cantankerous, and all of a sudden, I'm like, man, I need some of that book. And I'll start reading, I'll go, man, that's really good. And just whet your appetite, amen? Acts chapter 13 now, what's going on here in Acts chapter 13 is Paul is at Antioch and Pisidia, and he's preaching to Jews and Gentiles. So when the Jews are done hearing it, and they really don't have a whole lot going on with it, you know what the Gentiles do? The Bible says in Acts 13, 44, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them. <laughs> it wet their appetite is what I'm telling you. And that book in your lap, the more you read it, it ought to whet your appetite. It ought to whet your appetite. And finally, let me give you this one. Psalm 119, 162. You ought to let it wind you up. Amen? You ought to let it wind you up. I mean, you ought to just wind yourself up with that book every now and then. Just have a fit. Amen? Psalm 119, 162. You know what David says? I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. When was the last time you read that book, studied that book, heard it preached or whatever, and man, it just stinking wound you up like an eight-day clock. <laughs> you say, well, I'm not geared that way. Well, how is your gearing? <laughs> I'm more of a 410. <laughs> well, you know, we pray for 311 gearing or however that thing works, amen? If you're not a truck guy, don't worry about it. I remember taking a trip. I was uh, in the UP uh, running for a sales company and and I was dealing uh, in my mind very young in the Lord. And I was asking the Lord to show me uh, definitively on salvation matters, doctrinal matters, uh, in uh, rejection of, of Calvinism. Because those Calvinists, they're stinking slick, brother. And what they'll do is they'll try to tie you in knots and try to get you thinking over here. And they, what they do is they rest the scripture to their own destruction. So I'm heading on a trip, and I've got the Bible open. I'm sure it wasn't safe, but I was looking at this passage and then that passage. I said, Lord, would you just think and sort this out for me? And it clicked, man. It clicked. You say, what did you do? I spit all over my windshield for a half hour. I was so excited that I got it nailed down. You say, what? I got, the mo I got salvation nailed down. That's important. But it ought to wind you up every once in a while. David said, I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. And finally, let me give you this one. All right? So here it is. You want strength for the battle? Well, you got to ask for the right things, which is the right book. You got to give the book some time by reading it and getting under the preaching. And then thirdly, you got to respond to the book. But notice this. You've got to learn to lead better because of the book. You got to learn to lead better because of the book. And uh, look at this in verse number 10. You ought to leave filled. You know what they say in verse 10? He says, go your way. Eat the fat and drink the sweet. Now, to me, that sounds like uh, brisket and apple pie or something. I don't know. <laughs> Brother, you ever do a brisket before? Okay, I just wondered. <laughs> he says, go your way, eat the, eat the fat and drink the sweet. You ought to leave filled. You say filled with what? How about filled with joy? Filled with joy. Uh, Acts 13, 52, the Bible says, and the disciples were filled with joy. Filled with joy, not only joy, but filled with the Spirit of God. Uh, when you sit down in front of that book, can I encourage you this week to make a, one special request. Before you read that book, say, Lord, would you please fill me with your Holy Spirit? 
Never sit in front of that book not asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Something nice might fill you. You might get filled with your thoughts of the day. Just the next time you sit down, Lord, will you please fill me with your Holy Spirit as I read your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Leave filled with joy, filled with the Spirit. How about this? Do you then leave with a commission to fill others? In verse 10, it says, And send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. Not only do you get filled, but you ought to leave out of there with a commission to fill others. You ever stop and think that what you fill up on spills out on everybody else? I mean, what you're full of right now, this very moment, you will get, you'll spill on to other people before they leave. That's it. Proverbs 23, 8, the Bible says, The morsel which thou hast eaten shalt thou vomit up and loose thy sweet words. That just means it's got to come out what's inside. And that's why you ought to be filled with the book. Because if you constantly are filled with the book and filled with the book and filled with the book and filled with the book, somebody nudges you a bunch, you're like, whoa, hey, have some book. <laughs> there it is. Just like that. And not only that, but what you fill up on can instruct others. Look at 2 Timothy 2. I know a little bit of turning tonight, but I think it's good for you. 2 Timothy chapter 2. What you fill up on can instruct others. And notice Paul's admonition to young Timothy here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. He says, who shall be able to teach others also. You know what the real blessing of being a preacher, you say, is it standing in front of the pulpit and preaching? No, that's my calling and that's what I have to do. Or uh, I'll be like a junkie without his crack. Amen. Not like the drug is what I'm talking about. Amen. Uh, but uh, the real joy is when I see people in the church teaching others also. Amen. you got to take what the Lord's given you through the preaching, through the reading, through the preaching and teaching, and you got to give it to somebody else. Give it to somebody else. All right. <clears throat> so next, you not only leave filled, you leave with a commission to fill others, but you leave holy. Look at verse 10. We're almost done here. You leave holy, verse 10, for this day is holy unto our Lord. Not only do you leave holy, but you should leave happy in verse 10. Neither be you sorry. You see that? Amen. When you get in front of that book and you come out of preaching, you come out of your Bible, you ought to leave happy. Amen. Get things right with the Lord. Get things fixed up. Get filled with joy. Fill with the Holy Spirit. Fill with some spiritual ammunition. One of the coolest parts to me about deer hunting and I don't do it much because I'm, I'm glad the boys like to do it because now I don't have to do it. The coolest part, this is going to be weird to you gals, is put, putting ammunition in my gun and making sure I got a whole bunch extra with me. That's the coolest part about going hunting. Why? I got a gun and I got ammunition. You say, you're such a boy. Amen. I don't care what you think. I have a gun and I have bullets, right? As a Christian, you have a gun and you got ammunition. You see that? Now listen, it's not my problem. You can't find where the ammunition is. It's right here. You got to get you some ammunition. And you know what? You can carry all you want. There's no limit in this season. Uh, you got at least 66 barrels to choose from here. You got anything from small, you know, 22 Win Mag to 4570 government. Amen. I mean, this thing is ammunition. What you got in Sunday school this morning? Ammunition. Everyone comes up and tells you all Bibles are the same. You're smoking crack, pal. Here, let me show you. Grab your Bible. Go ahead and get it. All right, the first thing I want you to do, see what I mean? There's ammunition. Not to fight with everybody, but just every once in a while, you got to send off a round or two. Amen. <laughs> well, you leave holy. You leave happy. How about this, verse 10? You leave healthy. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know what the opposite of strength is, right? Weakness. A lot of weak Christians today. We don't have to be weak. Now look, physically, <laughs> the older I get, I realize just how weak I really am. Now every time I get sick, I'm like, oh, I can see this whole thing like death happening eventually. But when you're young, man, you're just like full of strength and full of energy. And now the older I get, every time I'm sick, I'm like, oh, I'm going to die soon. But you ought to leave holy, happy, and healthy, strengthened by the book, right? Verse 1, the book of Moses there. Now that, but look at verse 1, strengthened by the brethren. It says, all the people gathered themselves. This strengthens my heart right here to see you here. I want you to hear that from my mouth. I'm almost done here. I'll keep it short. But seeing you here strengthens me. You say, well, you should put your confidence in God. I get all that. But seeing you, you haven't quit. 
and you're still going on for the Lord, it strengthens me. It really is a real pick-me-up, and it should be to you too. Well, how about this one? You should leave in verse 12, hollering. <laughs> you should leave hollering. And all the people went their way. Look what it says, to make great mirth. You leave holy, you leave healthy, hel healthy, <laughs> healthy. I just made up a word, happy, healthy, and you leave hollering, amen? <laughs> it's all right to say amen every once in a while. It's all right to get excited, have a good time in the Lord, just keep it in English. You say, why you want to holler, verse 12? Because of the word. Because, Bible says in verse 12, because they understood the words. How about this? Hollering because of the way it was preached. You say, how was it preached? Absolutely negative. You know what helps you and me? Negative. It helps us. I, I don't know how to tell that with a straight face, but negative preaching helps you. It really does. All right? And finally, hollering because of a willingness to understand it. In verse 12, you see, because they understood. That's the reason to shout, amen. That's the reason to get happy in the Lord. Now, the days are drawing close to a close, and the battle's still going, isn't it? And uh, the hymn goes, marching on, marching on, for Christ count everything but lost, but to crown him king, toil and sing neath the banner of the cross. You and I, we need strength for the battle. You need strength for the battle today. You need strength for the battle tomorrow and you need this book and you need to get what you need amen some Christians are living day to day with the low fuel light on you say I live day to day with the low fuel light because I can't afford fuel you know what I'm saying amen and you see that boom, that usually means you got 30 miles to go right or 24 and as old as our ride is just don't trust it very long <laughs> And you know what? The older you get, you can't trust the low light. Energy. You, can't, you can't trust that idiot light either, amen? Because the idiot keeps changing. <laughs> amen? All right. <clears throat> Some Christians are living today with a low fuel light on, and you've got to get strengthened for the battle of the day. So here's my challenge to you. Are you willing to just take a few minutes before you put your head on the pillow tonight and get strength because the battle's still going? There's no discharge. This goes right with my message this morning. There's no discharge in this war, and you've got to keep going on. And you're not going to keep going on if you're not able to get strengthened for the battle. I need to do it tonight, too, and you need to do it. So that's my challenge for you. Make sure you get strengthened for the battle before your head hits that pillow. Don't wait till Monday morning. Don't wait till Monday morning. You know how the devil works. He'll make the power go out. I guess it don't matter. No one's got an alarm clock anymore. I can't use that illustration. Everyone's got a cell phone, you know, but he'll make you forget and put it on silent. You ever done that? And then the alarm don't go off. Been there, done that. All right, why don't you stand, and we'll get out of here in prayer. Strength for the battle. Onward, Christian soldiers marching as to war. Brother Cole, would you pray us home?